It's Christmas! Well, tonight, thank God it's there instead of you. Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait to see those faces. Christmas to you and all. It's only a bloody burr month. We're in September now, and I'm Adam, your host of Merry Britsmas, the podcast where I will rant and rave about great, and sometimes not so great, British Christmas things, from TV to music to traditions and history. Burr months bring slightly chillier weather, especially here in the UK, and darker evenings which make me feel more autumnal and cosy, perfect for festive feels. In this episode of Merry Britmas, I'll continue my year-long historical journey by sharing stories of festive toys and gifts from World War II, discussing some more alternative British Christmas songs, and a seasonal episode of a quick-fire modern BBC sitcom starring Lee Mack. Before I get on with the episode, though, I can't let the moment go without saying something about the passing of Queen Elizabeth II the longest reigning British monarch, and an important part of so many British people's Christmas celebration, as she became a fixture of households up and down the nation at 3pm on Christmas Day. I'm not a particular royalist, but I've always had a soft spot for Queenie. She kind of felt like the nation's nan. Back in episode 2 I explored the history of this tradition, so I won't go over everything again, but I want to note her last ever speech in 2021, where she talked about the passing of her husband, Prince Philip and therefore the complexities of celebration when missing a loved one. Although it's a time of great happiness and good cheer for many, Christmas can be hard for those who have lost loved ones. This year especially, I understand why. But for me, in the months since the death of my beloved Philip, I have drawn great comfort from the warmth and affection of the many tributes to his life and work. But life, of course, consists of final partings as well as first meetings. And as much as I and my family miss him, I know he would want us to enjoy Christmas. Speaking of our shared history and of someone who lived through World War II, I've been exploring how people in the UK celebrated and persevered through the festive season in spite of the war that blighted the world from 1939 to 1945. I've been reading extracts from chapters of Christmas at War by Caroline Taggart, a brilliant book that uses first-hand accounts and documents to show the reality of life during wartime. This month, I'll share some stories of the gifts that people still thought to give one another, or those who still wished for Father Christmas to bring them something whether in a shelter or evacuated off into the countryside away from their parents. In 1939, Country Life magazine printed some practical present ideas, such as first aid and gas mask cases, but also mentioned a new exciting liqueur called Contro. Stores also noticed a demand for military toys when the war began, such as model trench scenes and models of spitfires and hurricanes. By Christmas 1940, however, homemade gifts were the focus, with Woman's Weekly giving patterns for a scarf and knitted elephants or horses. Sue tells us about her family's presents. Our presents, without a doubt, would have been second-hand from second-hand toy shops or somewhere like the Dolls Hospital in Tunbridge Wells, which is our nearest big town. 
There were auctions in the village, people getting rid of toys their children had grown out of, but getting new toys was very, very rare. I knew I had a tricycle the Christmas before the end of the war, when I would have been four, because there's a picture of me on it when we were evacuated to an uncle in Berkshire for the last four months or so of the war. At home, there were German prisoners of war working on farms nearby, and I can remember them being taken through the village on the back of a tractor or horse and cart. It was a small village, and the prisoners were given coloured plastic thread to make things, and they used to give them to us as presents, little rings or bracelets, which they handed out with delight. Of course, we were delighted too. I remember dancing round the cart, calling more, more. We had no idea that these men were the enemy. One tradition we had at Christmas was to clear out our toy cupboard. It wasn't stuffed with a lot of toys, but it was a rule that we had to make room for any toys which we might, if we were lucky and behaved very well, get on Christmas. The agony of saying goodbye to our precious toys. We handed them over to what was called the Christmas crib. They put a crib in the church and sent them off, I think, to Bernardo's homes or to children who weren't getting presents. But we didn't like doing that. Presents also came from unlikely sources, such as strangers in shops, as Viv explains. My husband always said that people were kind to soldiers, that was probably because of this story which he often told after the war. He was in the army in Sheffield, and he was in a shop looking at children's handkerchiefs. He wanted a present for our daughter. He didn't have the coupons that would allow him to buy them, and a lady standing next to him said to the salesperson, It's alright, I'll let him have the coupons. I have no idea why she did that, but Julie got her Christmas presents, thanks to a stranger's generosity. And Pam remembers getting help from soldiers too. After the Italians surrendered, lots of them came to England as to what they called co-operators and worked on the land. There was a group of them in the fields, near us in Gloucestershire. They were all singing and very cheerful despite being more or less prisoners. They were kind to us children. One Christmas they gave us oranges. They must have got them from their Red Cross parcels, because there were certainly none for sale where we were. During the war, wrapping paper and cards became more difficult to come by as the war went on, with adverts urging, paper is precious, don't waste it. This included things like comics, so swapping presents became common, as described by Tom. One Christmas, my parents sent me copies of the Beano, and once I read them, I was able to swap them for the Dandy or the Wizard. Before the war, I used to buy all three comics every week, but now, because of the paper shortages, they were published only once a fortnight, and tuppence a time mounted up to a lot of pocket money. The comics kept us interested in the war effort, though. All my favourite characters were involved. The Wolf of Kabul in The Wizard usually worked for British intelligence on the northwest frontier. Even Lord Snooty in the Beano, who used to be just as happy escaping from his castle, finally started trying to thwart Hitler's plans. Some presents were made lovingly by people such as Brenda's grandfather. My grandfather worked as a boilermaker in the shipyard and had a friend who was a carpenter. He made a farmyard and a crane for my brother and a set of doll's house furniture for me, all painted shipyard green. My brother said Father Christmas must have had a lot of green paint. I also look forward to receiving a book at Christmas. I remember Swallows and Amazons and a Penguin book about pandas, but my favourite was my Shirley Temple book, with pictures of the child star in lovely outfits. Joan's husband, in Yeovil, also made some presents for their daughters. He made two child-sized painting easels and brought them home to Peterborough with him on the train, crossing London with them in his kit bag. Unlike most men, he didn't smoke during the war, and gave his cigarettes to other soldiers in exchange for chocolate, which he then saved to bring home for the children. Alfie got presents from an unusual place too. I don't think we celebrated Christmas much, but in 1944, for some reason, my parents invited four German prisoners of war for Christmas lunch. What made it special 
was that each of them had made me a present. A toy soldier, a wooden train, things they'd built themselves. It was wonderful. I don't remember having a Christmas present before, and that year I had four. And finally, in South London, Molly's brother did his best. During the war you couldn't get real wool to knit with, but you could get some awful hairy oily stuff. My brother learnt to knit and knitted our dad a long scarf with lots of drop stitches. He gave it to him for Christmas and insisted on him wearing it. It itched him to death. It was sort of dirty, dull blue colour. I think dad prayed his son would forget it quickly, but I do remember him wearing it to a football match. We used to watch Charlton Athletic playing at the Valley on Boxing Day. The swearing was quite strong, and I'd pretend I'd not heard. Considering my love of British sitcoms, there are still plenty that I haven't watched for a number of reasons. From lack of time, to just not being aware, to a warranted or unwarranted dislike of a particular performer. However, sometimes things just kind of slip past you. Such as Not Going Out, the focus of this episode's British festive TV deep dive. Yeah, not going out, not staying in, just hanging around with my head in a spin, but that is no need to scream and shout. Yeah, not going out, we are not going out. It's actually the second longest running British sitcom in seasons of all time, only just behind The Last of the Summer Wine. I couldn't believe this when I read it, but I realised it's been on for some time, since 2006 to be exact, running for 12 seasons and still going with season 13 due next year. There was a brief pause, as it was cancelled by the BBC after series 3, but fan support and strong DVD sales encouraged them to bring it back. The premise of the show is focused around comedian Lee Mack playing a fictionalised version of his real self, an unmotivated layabout lodging in London with roommates, who all seem to have more in their life than him, including his best mate Tim, played by the super pithy Tim Vine. He has a number of crushes and semi-relationships throughout the first few seasons, mostly focused on trying to impress his dream girl, also his best mate's sister Lucy, played by Sally Breton. He also confides in his cleaner, Barbara, played by Miranda Hart. The show's first Christmas special, Murder at Christmas, aired on December 21st, 2007 after the second season. It starts with Lee and Lucy decorating their tree and talking about holiday plans. So what are you doing for Christmas? Back home with the family. Turkey, stuffing, mince pies. Yeah, my brothers have got weird names, haven't they? <laughs> I suppose you're off to mammies and daddies. I'm not, actually. They're going on a skiing trip this year, so I'm staying here. On your own? Yeah, I'll be fine. Tim and Daisy are coming over for Christmas dinner. Well, let's hope Daisy gets the date right. <laughs> She's not that bad. I don't know. It's a fine line as to whether Tim's her boyfriend or a curer. <laughs> Following a chat with Barbara, he realises he can spend some romantic time with Lucy and tells some stories about his home life to get sympathy. Oh, I'm just not looking forward to spending Christmas with my stepdad, that's all. Why? Oh, he just never makes me feel welcome. He'll come in the room with the telephone and he'll say, it's for you. I'm going to take it. It's National Rail Inquiries. Really? Yeah. I mean, he's not a bad man, I suppose. Just a bit old-fashioned. I remember when my sister had her menstrual cycle, he made her go and live in the shed, claiming she was a witch. That's funny, because I never even knew you had a sister. Oh, I don't like to talk about her. She drowned years ago. Is that right? Yeah. 
Like my stepdad said, look on the bright side. If she'd have floated, he'd have had to set fire to her anyway. <laughs> but then Tim and Lucy's parents announce they're coming for Christmas to put a spanner in the works, and Lucy asks Barbara the cleaner to help. <laughs> what do you want? I've got a favour to ask. Go on. But you've got to promise not to just say no straight away. OK. I want you to work Christmas Day. Fuck <laughs> off. Well, I wasn't allowed to say no, was I? Please. I can't do Christmas dinner for six people without help. What about him? I need someone who realises that the fridge isn't just a place to put magnets. She agrees, and Christmas Eve arrives with her parents, Geoffrey, played by Timothy West, and Wendy, played by Deborah Grant. Lee doesn't make a great first impression. Sorry, this is Lee. Ah, oh, yes. We've heard so much about you. <laughs> Not all bad, I hope. <laughs> yes, it's nice to finally put a face to the incidents. And an overheard conversation leads to more difficulty. If you can't even admit it to me, how are you ever going to admit it to her? All right. I find her very attractive, OK? Happy? Who do you find very attractive? Is she a dame? Does she use a stair lift? Go on, tell us. Who's the lucky lady that you find so irresistible? Your... wife. <laughs> On Christmas morning, the parents also meet Tim's girlfriend, the somewhat dim Daisy, played by the brilliantly funny Katie Wicks. Mum, Dad, this is Daisy. Oh. oh, careful, Lady Shake, Dad, Lady Shake. Yes, like you do with Lucy and Tim. <laughs> Very glad to meet you at last. We were beginning to think you didn't exist. Oh, don't worry. Because I think that sometimes too. <laughs> But maybe I'm just in someone else's dream, and then they'll wake up and I'll die. <laughs> a big joint present from Lee is introduced for Christmas Day games. Talking of presents, I hope you don't mind. I decided to get everyone one big communal gift. Oh, Lee, oh. you shouldn't have. Yeah, you should have bought us one each. <laughs> ah, murder mystery. Yeah, well, you said you were a fan of games, Geoffrey. The idea is you play it during the meal. During Christmas dinner? Yeah. I thought it might be a laugh. Halfway through the first course, find out someone's been killed, then sack Barbara, throw the food away and start the game. <laughs> Each of the character gets roles, including Tim's mum as a saucy Miss Scarlet, leading to more dodgy moments. Miss Scarlet's the name. Is that a truncheon in your pocket or are you just glad to see me? <laughs> Actually... It's a rhetorical question. You must be Five Fingers Harry. Tell me, how does a man get a name like that? All right, leave it out, Mum. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little excited. I love this dress. That's all right. Just good to see you getting into it. <laughs> I don't mean... <laughs> and Daisy also gets confused between the game and reality. So, have you got a few days off, then? Well, actually, I've got lots and lots of days off. Why? What do you do? I don't work. How do you get by? Oh, I inherited quite a bit of money when I was a child, so I've just always lived off that. Really? How much, if you don't mind my asking? Um, a few million pounds. Oh, I know it sounds like a lot, but, well, there's lots of expenses in my life. The house is in a really bad state at the moment, and... 
Well, now that my husband's been murdered... <laughs> We're having a little break from the game. Oh, sorry. I'm a hairdresser. And then the game ends in arguing and chaos, as many do on Christmas Day. Why don't you pop up to my room and I'll show you exactly what these hands What the hell do you think you're playing, Aunt Wendy? Staying in character, just like you wanted. Yeah, to be fair, Geoffrey, it is on the cards between me and her. It's on the cards! <laughs> yeah, steady on, Dad. It's just a parlour game. We don't want you having one of your tizzies. What do you say? Eggnogs all round? Eggnogs? Will you please make some effort to act tough, you bloody ponce? This is like when you played Captain Hook in the school pantomime. Oh, not that again. Don't you think he suffered enough at the time, heckled by his own father in front of the entire school? I wasn't shouting at him. I was shouting at the crocodile. <laughs> yeah, you shouted, just eat the little bastard and get on with it. <laughs> so Lee tries to smooth things over with Tim's dad. Why don't we get back in, finish the game? What, and spoil my children's fun with my stupid temper? Well, I think they're very lucky having a father like you. I just wish my stepdad was as laid back as you are. A difficult man, eh? Oh, telling me. The drink, the drugs, the beatings. He wouldn't let me do any of them. <laughs> oh, well, I suppose it is Christmas. This time of year, maybe I should give Tim a shaft of fatherly sunlight. Well, it's not just Tim, is it? Your wife could do with a good... <laughs> ..bit of sunlight as well. And all ends well with him having a slightly nice moment to end the day chilling on the sofa with Lucy. So, you got any plans tomorrow? Just back to the hard bed in city streets. Do yourself a favour, sweetheart, don't get involved. I ain't no superhero. I'm just a drunken cab. A bum. A loser. A deadbeat. I'm... Can I play? No. <laughs> well, you may think of yourself as a deadbeat, but this is one lady who'd sleep a lot better if you were in here tonight. You want my room, don't you? Do you mind? Have it. I haven't seen much of this show, but I do quite like it based on this special. It has a lot of quick joke and pun action, which I quite like. The story's cheesy and old-fashioned in terms of British sitcoms, but that's not the worst thing if the characters are somewhat amusing, likeable, and the jokes come thick and fast like they do in this show. I think I'll be checking out more of it, especially the Christmas ones. I love sharing new and potentially underappreciated Christmas songs, especially for those people we may know who always moan about the same old Christmas songs every year. Firstly, they may be the same, but they're not the same old. They're mostly brilliant. And secondly, there are so, so many different original Christmas songs out there if people try to look a little deeper into YouTube or Bandcamp or Spotify. So I'd like to share four original Christmas songs from alternative artists. First up is a band you've probably heard of, from the 70s called T-Rex. Psych, folk and rock legends whose enigmatic frontman Mark Boland became a glam legend before his premature death of a car crash in 1977. The band released mega hits such as Get It On and Metal Guru, getting a run of 11 singles into the top 10. However, one song that never actually became a single is a festive banger called Christmas Bop. Recorded in 1975, the track has a disco feel to it, but still maintaining that glam kick and strut that the band are known for.
let's move from glam disco to indie folk, with the Staves, three sisters from Watford who have released four albums full of gorgeous harmonies, with last year's Good Woman being critically acclaimed. The band have toured with the likes of Bon Iver and Florence and the Machine. Before we get to their original Christmas song, they also have a beautiful cover of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas on their YouTube, filmed backstage at a gig with another band called Flight. They also released a Christmas song in 2018 called Home Alone 2, with the 2 spelt T-O-O. The song is beautiful but all sad and depressing about feeling alone on the holidays. Well it rained again this Christmas, seems to happen every year, and it only snows on TV, and I saw you in your photograph. Seems you're having so much fun And it's okay You don't belong to me And how I hate this time of year It's dark and it's cold And I feel I'm getting older And I Jumping across the UK to Wales to check out Sweet Baboo, real name Stephen Black, who makes intriguing psychedelic country folk, with seven full-length albums out since 2008 via Moshi Moshi Records. He recorded a Christmas single in 2015 called Don't Be Alone This Christmas that hides a slightly sad lyrical tale of being lonely at Christmas behind a jauntly and sprightly piece of music. Away if it was me then I would be scared Finally, our last song comes from Oscar Scheller, who initially went by the simple stage name Oscar. He makes bright and exciting melodic indie pop, on two albums with Wichita Records, and another recent album with Handle With Care Records. In 2015, he recorded an original Christmas song called It's Christmas Again, with Amazon Music's Indie For The Holidays project. It's got a slow shuffling beat, until the chorus kicks in with sleigh bells, and yet another worrying moan about not being able to find seasonal happiness. Now you know,
Marker. And action. Merry Monday, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Bells. Imagine making a child take something it doesn't want just because he bought too many of the wrong toys. You guys give up or you're thirsty for more? Join us each week as we go behind the scenes of your favorite Christmas classics. <laughs> oh, Santa's got a little trick up his sleeve. Someone should remind her that Christmas is more than barging up and down department store aisles and pushing people out of the way. Our weekly show explores the magic behind that Christmas magic. Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. For Christ's sakes, it's Christmas. Join us as we explore that Christmas magic every week. With the first burr month almost gone, next month is Spooktober. October brings darker nights, chilly feels, and a chance to watch lots of horror, at least in my house. I'll be back in October with a slightly spooky but still festive episode of the podcast, exploring some things that somehow connect to both All Hallows' Eve and Christmas. And there may be an extra purely British Halloween one too. Please get in touch via my social medias at Merry Britsmas. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. So let me know if you enjoyed any of the alternative indie tracks I've chucked out at you this month. Happy blooming Christmas to you and all.